this might be the most important edition of Behind the Yellow Line up to this point here. Good evening, Randall. Good evening, Jeremy. Welcome in, folks. Episode number 95 of Behind the Yellow Line. Why is it so important? Well, it's not because anything with the Cubs. It's been very quiet the last week. We are on the precipice of Randall J. Sanders' birthday. Friday, January 13, the big 3-6 for Randall J. Sanders. Randall, happy birthday to you. Thank you, Ronan. I appreciate that. I, I try to spend as little time as possible on precipices, but sometimes it is inevitable. Yeah, happy birthday, uh, Randall. Thank you. Uh, yes, I was waiting for that, Jeremy. I, uh, I was I sure we were good, but happy birthday. Yeah. Yes, this is a very important day to me. Uh, I think I am more excited than Randall is for Randall's birthday. You, you're probably not wrong. There's a couple of days in the year that I consider holy days, and I'm not a very religious guy. Opening day is the high holiday in terms of the year, right? Like, There's nothing better than opening day. The Cubs are back. Beyond that, it's hard to top Randall's birthday. I mean, for me, that it's circled on the calendar. I've got a certain logo, the Ryoku, all over my desk here on my calendar. I get very excited for January 13, and because things are kind of quiet with the Cubs, we're going to talk a little bit about Randall J. Sanders on the podcast tonight. So for me, this is the most important day of the year. Am I wrong? Beyond uh, opening day. You, you know, uh, I don't want to self-promote. I don't want to self-aggrandize. Uh, it does feel kind of self-serving to promote my birthday. But uh, birthdays are nice. It's nice to celebrate being alive. Nice to celebrate being healthy, being able to... Uh, talk about the things you enjoy, being able to hopefully uh, enjoy the things you enjoy. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's important to acknowledge the the uh, the value of a birthday, I think. Yeah, I think I, it's I look very at important. It, I look at it like a milestone date, to be honest, you know, because we got Cubs convention this weekend starting on that date. And then it's kind of like the end of the off season. We're only a month away from spring training. So, like, it's a good point kind of to mark in the off season. We're, we're, we're coming up on Cubs baseball. Yeah, and that's why I, I was a little bit frustrated. I mean, the reason we're going to do 90% Randall tonight and then a little bit Cubs is there just hasn't been a whole lot in the last week since we've been together. Uh, we will talk uh, some things about a month before spring training starts here, who we think the best player on the current roster is, and I'm sure we have some disagreements in there. We want to talk about sort of an under-the-radar type player or a guy that isn't maybe Dansby Swanson or Marcus Stroman that we think is critical to the Cubs' success this season. And I know both of you are more optimistic about what the Cubs are going to do this season than I am. So we'll dig into that a little bit. There are some rule changes coming to AAA baseball that we want to touch in on. And then something we talked about last time, this is the 20-year anniversary of one of the most important Cubs teams of all time, the 2003 Chicago Cubs. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that offseason. Like as the year goes on, we'll talk about key games in April and May and June and some big trades they've made. But seeing as things are a little bit quiet on the Cubs front right now, let's talk about that offseason between 2002 and 2003. And two big things in my mind that happened, Dusty Baker coming on board and a huge trade the Cubs made in December and how that sort of laid the foundation going into spring training. We will talk about number 95, but as I said at the outset here, this is all Randall. And Jeremy, last week, I asked you to prepare a story for the podcast tonight, and I believe you're ready to go with that. I've got one as well, and I believe this is just so important to our audience. One, to better get to know Randall J. Sanders, and two, anytime I can talk about my guy, Randall, I'm going to soak that up. So, Jeremy, do you want to go first? I'll give you sort of the leadoff slot here. Give our audience an iconic Randall story, something that they need to hear tonight. 
Yeah, I'll lead it off. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of moments, of course, over the years, so it's really hard to pick and choose the one, like, you know, the most random moment. But for me, I, I do have to go back to my birthday a few years ago, on June 6, 2018, when Randall and I went to the game together, just the two of us, nobody else. Randall got there early. I believe he wanted to get a clock. Uh, uh, that was the giveaway. It was a uh, the clock at center field, you know, on the scoreboard. Uh, that's a little the, giveaway that's the uh, above my television clock, Jeremy. There it's not go. the scoreboard clock. Oh. It's the above my television clock. Well, I know, but at Wrigley, it's above the score. No, it's, it's, the the above the, it's the above my television <laughs> clock. I've renamed it. Okay. okay. And uh, so Randall was there early, and I got there, and he was already sitting on the chair. He he, uh, he had the clock. He had everything. So we get there. It was a good game to start off. Cubs went up 3 nothing, But things kind of got a little testy in those middle innings. Randall was not feeling some of the decisions made by the manager, Joe Madden, <laughs> letting him know. Moments. I remember when, when he finally came out to remove Jose Quintana, it was it – was, not a great moment. Randall was yelling and swearing up a storm from the from the stands. And then the replacement, Steve Ciszek, for Quintana, gave a big three-run bomb to tie the game to, uh, I believe, Aaron Altair. You know, there's some names here. And then Randall was definitely not feeling that. We go into the top of the ninth. Brandon Morrow gives up a two-run homer to Dylan brutal. Cousins. Just brutal. Cubs are going into the, to the ninth, down 5-3. Nobody was feeling good. But all of a sudden, they 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 chipped away at the you know got some a bunch of guys on base. Jason Hayward comes up facing a tough lefty Adam Morgan, who the Cubs would later sign, and goes yard for a four run, a grand slam. Cubs win seven five. Randall was ecstatic. He was yelling. He was screaming. It was just an all around crazy game. But I just recall just sitting there and Randall just all game just yelling at Joe Madden, yelling at Joe Madden. And then when the big moment happened with Hayward, he just could not contain himself. I want to I want to clarify one thing. I was not swearing up a storm. I have very strict ballpark etiquette, and that's okay, don't, you're right. And that's don't be the guy shouting f bombs when there's kids around kids, listening. I have yeah. very strict etiquette in that regard. Uh, but no, everything else you said happened. And the funniest thing about that grand slam is that because we were basically a row in front of standing room, which of, of course is the, uh, the the inspiration from which we took the name of this podcast behind the yellow line, because we were a, a row in front of standing room, there was no view above <laughs> maybe the first row or two of the bleachers. So I saw Hayward hit the ball. I saw people responding as if they knew the ball was gone. And I trusted those people. And I think I saw the ball land in the bleachers, but I did not see the flight of that baseball one bit. I was kind of reliant upon the Wrigley Field crowd to confirm to me that it was, in fact, gone. And I'm glad that they were right, because I would have been mad at a lot of people if they had faked me out like that. Second time that you and I have witnessed a walk-off Grand Slam. At that is Field. correct. That is correct. That's wild. So, what was the other? Yeah. Alfonso Al- Soriano. Soriano. That was the thing. Oh, I, I know Fox. our audience doesn't okay. know. Oh Sorry. yes, yeah, if we're if we're talking about shouting, that's the famed game in which uh, Lou Pinella pinch hit Mike Fox uh, instead of uh, Mike Fontenot or Jake, Jake Fox, Fox for yeah. Mike Fontenot, and it uh, did not end well, and the game ended up going quite a few more innings. Uh, that's the time Ronan let his opinions be known to the manager. So it's not just me. Yeah. Well, you know that was. Uh... 2009. 2009 is correct. Yes. yes. Um, I think it's important to note that I turned 21 in the summer of 2008. So, uh, you know, you'd go into the ballpark 21, 22. It was a little bit of a different ball game than when I go to the ballpark now, a little bit more mellow. I've aged yeah. into being a little bit more mellow. Uh, Rand, uh, Jeremy, how would you describe the noise, the sound Randall made when Hayward hit that grand slam? Like, what was it a release, a cathartic release? Was it a roar? What was the sound 
when Hayward hit that out. I think I think it was like a cathartic release. I think there was definitely some tension going into that at bat, especially <laughs> with Hayward up uh, facing a lefty. You know, Cubs were down five to three. It was not. There were some issues going on in that inning, and Randall was having it all game about you know just the way it was managed. Cubs blowing a three nothing lead, blowing a tie game in the top ninth. So I think when Hayward yeah. uh, hit that ball. It was just a whole bunch of emotions coming out. Just a bunch of, you know, it was a little bit of a roar, but mostly just cathartic, just being like a, a scream and a primal yell that Randall did. And I just remember I, I jumped up out of my seat as well. You know, actually, we were probably standing at the time. I jumped up and it was a great moment. I will say that. It was, it was definitely get- more of a scream, definitely more of a yell. I know what my ballpark yell is like in the biggest moments. It's not really a roar because I do, I, 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 I don't modulate my voice when I scream at the ballpark. I, I just blow it out completely. Yeah. Funny aftermath of that game is I went to work the next day because that's, that's what I do. And uh, one of my coworkers who is very nice, a little naive, she hears me uh, a little bit hoarse that day. I've got a little bit of ballpark voice going on. And she goes, are you sick? What's wrong with your voice? And I said, well, I was at Wrigley last night and it was a, a big, exciting win. And I was I was loud for a lot of the game. And she goes, really? I can't imagine you being loud at a ballpark. You're usually so quiet. <laughs> And that, that's why I am oh, so You were loud and for a lot of the game. Yeah, that, that's, starting in like the fourth inning. Yes, if you've ever spent time with me in person, that is why I am uh, a little lower key, a little quieter, because I get all my energy out at the ballpark. Well, you know, if you want to hear Randall get riled up, uh, make a questionable decision as a manager of the Cubs, have a bad call as an umpire, or have St. Louis do anything. And Correct. people are going to hear some things that they didn't know Randall was capable Correct. of putting out there. Correct. And again, uh, it, I, I keep that I keep that all out from elsewhere because I funnel it into the ballpark. Well, I like that, Jeremy. And 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 I always like, you know, I moved out to Denver away from not I didn't move away from you guys to get away from you guys, but I moved away from you in 2015. And that meant fewer opportunities for me to get out to the ballpark. So I always get excited when I get the text that both of you are going to the ballpark. And I get a little jealous. Like, I should be out there. If I were in Chicago, I would be out there with you all. But uh, that was a special night. And I was watching that ballgame here in Denver in the apartment. And I was screaming at the TV, especially when Hayward hit it. Like, what are the awesome moments in Jason Hayward's time in Chicago? And it's cool that both of you got a chance to take that in on your birthday, Jeremy, tying all of this together. Yeah, it was a great day. Well, I got a story for you all as well. And I was thinking about when I initially last week pitched, we got to bring stories in about Randall. I don't know that my intentions were all that pure. No, but as the no, week, not no, even I, remotely. Definitely not. But as the week went on, I'm like, oh, come on. Let's, let's, let's pay tribute to Randall. We no need to poke fun here. And I'll probably get a couple of pokes. And I like to poke Randall when I get the chance. Uh, I wanted to go back to the very first time that Randall and I went to a ball game together. Because, Jeremy, you and I, our, our friendship, I knew you earlier. You and I going to Wrigley Field predated us even meeting Randall by a couple of years. So, Jeremy, you and I kind of had this tradition of going out to the ballpark, seeing the team play. I didn't get my first experience with Randall until 2004. And it was a midweekday game. It was Thursday, June 10, 2004, Cubs-Cardinals at Wrigley Field. I had an extra ticket. My dad was working. He couldn't get out to the ballpark that day. I go, Randall. Let's do it. Let's get ready to go. The Cubs beat the Cardinals that day 12-3, to in part by a 10-run fourth inning where Moise Salou and Derek Lee had multi-run home runs for the Chicago Cubs. So great day for the Cubs, great day to be at the ballpark with Randall. But a couple of things that stood out to me that really highlighted, Randall, how much you have changed since 2004. And I know I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but it bears repeating. Randall brought a sign 
to the ballpark that day. And Randall, you're already shaking your head, but you you proudly brought a sign. Oh, to the I did. That day. I did. It's it's a great it's a great example of uh, with age comes wisdom. <laughs> you, you know, you said you've mellowed with age. I have yeah. aged into the guy who knows not to bring signs to the ballpark. So you know, you can you can debate how mature I am, but I like to, I, I like to think I've matured beyond that. Well, Randall, tell me if this is true because I was thinking about it. That was the only time. I've ever seen you bring a sign to the ballpark. True or false? That is that is correct. I think I did it that one time. I think I realized, boy, this thing's a pain in the ass to lug around, and it <laughs> serves no real purpose. Uh, I think I'm good. I think, I, yeah, I think I sated my desire to bring signs to the ballpark for the rest of my life that day. Well, it was an incredible sign, though. Uh, we were in the upper deck down the left field line, box, the, the front section of the upper deck, the old uh, 400 level. I think they call it the 300 level now. Uh, Carlos Sombrano was the starting pitcher for the Cubs that day. Not only was this a sign, this was a, a two-sided sign. On one side of the sign, it said, Zimbrano is the Mano. Man, Mano is M-A-N hyphen O. Just so He's the hand. Zimbrano yeah. is the hand. That's right. Just so people didn't read it as Mano. I wanted them to know it was Mano. Thank, thank you, I me. See. 2004. Well, thank me. you for clarifying. You. And you helped Zimbrano. He had a very good day that day. He did. Eight innings two runs allowed in the Cubs win. The other side of that sign, though, oh, was dear. for the closer. Oh, dear. LaTroy is our boy, yeah. was the other side of that sign. Yeah. And uh, do you still have the sign? Of course I don't still have the sign. <laughs> I'm a little bit smarter than that. No, I do not still have the sign. There's a very real chance that it, I probably left it in a uh, a Wrigley Field trash can on the way out that day, okay. saying you served your purpose. Uh, go go in peace. And if that's not the case, I'm sure it did not survive several spring cleanings um, in years after. No, I do not still have the sign. Uh, I, I do regret my choice of sign at times. But uh, again, with age comes wisdom. And uh, again, I know not to bring signs to the ballpark now. Well, I think the I mean, three of us co collectively have a softer spot for Troy Hawkins than most Cubs fans. Absolutely. A lot I of have, Cubs I fans have. hate Troy, And I don't I think any nothing of the three against of us LaTroy feel that Hawkins. way at all. Not at all. I, I think it was a good sign. I, I don't understand why we're so anti-Randall with the signs. I, I appreciate more signs from Randall. One of, the, one of the things I remember very clearly about that day, Dan Heron started for yes. the Cardinals, and he got just shelled. And I will always remember him being taken out of the game and making that slow walk back into the visiting dugout. And somebody behind us shouting very clearly, we'll see you at AAA, buddy. I remember Louisville. that very yeah Triple A no Triple A Memphis Memphis Louisville is the Cincinnati affiliate. Not, right. not, we'll we'll see you a decade from now as a starter for a yeah you know I think about team. that a lot I think about that a lot Jeremy is it, we Dan Heron goes full circle from getting shelled at Wrigley and having somebody say we'll see it we'll see at Triple A buddy to starting games down the stretch for a wild card winning Cubs team I, I do think about that a lot time is yeah. a flat circle. It, yeah. It's more of a Mobius strip, but it so you can't hate on too many players because they may end up on the Cubs. Well, yeah. no, I've I've never I've never thought that way. Come <laughs> do, do do what I want when I want, and if the you know if, if the they end up on the Cubs down the line, I'll decide if I regret it or not. Well, Big Z got the win, eight innings, two runs. Francis Beltron closed things out that day. Uh, gave up a run in the ninth, but you know <laughs> had the big leads. So the Cubs won it uh, really quickly. Just wanted to go through the lineup that day for the Cubs because these names are all awesome. Two thousand four, Todd Walker. Yep. Michael Barrett, yep. Moise Salou, Moises. Aramis Ramirez in the cleanup spot at three hits that day, Todd Hollinsworth starting in right field for the Cubs that day, Derek Lee, Corey Patterson, Ramon Martinez at short with Zimbrano on the mound. The Cubs had three bench players appear in that game, and this is, this is a list. Jason Dubois, Jose Macias, and David Kelton. 
those were the Cubs that appeared that day at Wrigley Field. My first game ever at Wrigley with Randall. It's you like got to see some David Kelton. It's yep. like you used one of baseball references, fancy box score searching tools and said, give me the most 2004 Cubs lineup imaginable. And that's what it spit out at you. And you were lucky because Francis Beltran would be gone in like a month to be traded for Nomar. Yeah, I don't know that we call it a, uh, a sad goodbye. You know, I don't know that we had a whole lot of love invested in a good old Frankie Beltran. But. Well, it was a memorable day. First time was, I got to go to the was ballpark a memorable with Randall. Day. Randall, I would guess you and I since that day have probably been to 50, maybe, Cubs games together over the years. And I think that's probably Jeremy, a pretty safe bet. Jeremy, I bet you and I are pushing 100 over the years. Yeah. Definitely been to a lot. Well, that's what we talk about here on Behind the Yellow Line. Uh, Randall, the happiest of birthdays to you. Uh, I hope it's a good day for you. One of my favorite things also about tomorrow, January 13, is all the love Randall gets on Twitter. Uh, the Cubs send him a happy birthday. All these people on Cubs Twitter drop the line to Randall. It's a day of love. Everybody's celebrating Randall. And I can't wait to see tomorrow the, just the, the interesting, like maybe a former Cub will reach out and wish Randall a happy birthday. I don't know. But I always like seeing, like, who's the most obscure person that's going to drop a happy birthday. Always nice when at Cubs drops it in for you, Randall. Yeah, it's nice to be on the old at Cubs birthday list. It makes you feel it makes you feel uh, welcomed and wanted. Yeah, so anybody out there, send Randall your birthday wishes tomorrow. Yes, yes, um, we will. And uh, it, it, I've, I've just been waiting until uh, 11 o'clock Mountain Time tonight, Randall. Your <laughs> phone is going to uh, start to blow up, and I hope it goes all through the day here. Uh, no, my phone my phone does not blow up, except for uh, in rare occasions. I, I know how to keep my phone from blowing up for very specific reasons. Randall, do you have a birthday wish? You know, like I, I don't I don't have a birthday wish. I my wish is to uh, be able to celebrate another birthday next year. Still alive, still healthy, still able to enjoy the things I love, still able to talk about the things I love, still able to be with good people. That's that's all I got is make, make it another year and, you know, go one year at a time. How yeah. about 91 Cubs team? Yeah. You, you know, I don't want to I don't <laughs> want it to be realistic, Jeremy. OK, OK. Okay. Well, we're a couple weeks out from our official prediction show. We'll get that going at the start of spring training. Uh, lots of predictions to make on the year, but here we are, January 12th. Uh, Jeremy, let's let's ask you here first. Okay, Dansby got all the money in the offseason, the big free agent signing for the Cubs. Who do you think is the best player on the current roster? Well, that's the guy I'm going to pick. I think I think it's got to be Dansby. I think he has. he's an elite defender, as we all know. He has the power at shortstop. He... He can do lots of different things that a lot of guys on the Cubs you know, not, haven't necessarily been able to do. I mean, you look at going into this year, it probably would be before they signed Dansby. I, I'm thinking Ian Happ, right? He had the, the big monster year last year. But Happ, you know, being in left field and not really having performing as well. I mean, he was a decent player, but he never had that year where he put it all together like he did last year. And I think with Dansby, you saw a guy who has done that the last couple of years, over a three-year period. So I think that Dansby, I, I, if I'm going to put who's the best player on the Cubs, I think it's got to be Dansby Swanson. He's the only guy who's had multiple or who had a six-win season, which he did last year. Over the past three years, he's averaged, or excuse me, he's compiled about 13 wins, which includes the 2020 season, uh, which was obviously only a 60 game where he had a pretty monster year. I mean, he's got 52 homers over the past two years as a shortstop. Uh, Dansby Swanson, to me, is the best player on the Chicago Cubs right now. Well, Jeremy said Dansby. Obviously, I can't say Dansby. I'm going to go uh, kind of 1B here. I'm going to go Seiya Suzuki. 
And, you know, maybe that's a, a bit of a surprising pick given that he had kind of an up and down year last year. But remember, this is a guy coming over from uh, an overseas league. There's a lot of adjustment. There's a lot of adjustment to the game. There's a lot of personal adjustment. I think we saw enough out of Seiya Suzuki last year. I think we saw the power. I think we saw the patience. I think we saw pretty good defense in right field. I think that is very much a player who, if he adjusts, settles in, and then goes up from there, I think we could very easily be calling him the best, maybe the second best player on the roster when all is said and done. But I think we saw enough last year to know the ability and the potential are there. He just kind of needs to finish that adjustment period, which I think he did in an excellent end of the season. Um, so I'll go, uh, I'll go say Suzuki with Jeremy taking Dansby Swanson. Well, I for one, I'm shocked that I've not heard Tucky Bar- Tucker Barnhart's name dropped yet in the podcast this evening. Well, Tucker, he's, he's going to be a monster. Yeah. Tucker's also a January birthday. So you can say, uh, you can say I share a birthday yeah. month with him if you want to want to make that connection. I, you know, I, I like where both of you are going with this. I do think Dansby's the answer, and, and I think Dansby, he's the dan- I, I he's hope the he can replicate. I, I just hope he can replicate what he did a year ago where you're talking about a, a plus-six war type of a player there. I'm, I, I, You know, the more I think about where the Cubs have ended up at shortstop, I, I, I think Dansby's all right, right? Like Correa gets this deal in Minnesota – uh, that's that's where it ends up, right? Who would have seen that coming a month ago? First to San Francisco, then New York. He's up there. There's obviously some serious concerns about how his body is going to hold up. Bogarts, that deal just makes I like. I love that San Diego did it. They went that for deal it. Makes me cringe. And you know, Turner, as Jeremy had mentioned a couple weeks ago, like the expectation was he was going to end up out east, and that's certainly where he ended up. So I, I I'm coming more and more into Dansby was the right guy for the Cubs to get. Relatively speaking, it's not that much money for a premium type shortstop, and the power is probably surprising. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that everybody's really wrapped their head around the fact that this is a guy who's put up big power numbers the last two years to go along with that great defense. If the Cubs can get almost 30 home runs out of shortstop this year, that's going to be a massive improvement over anything we've seen since the hobby days. So uh, I think that's probably the right way to go. Yeah, I, you know. Even if he doesn't have like that six win type season, if he puts up like a four win season, that's still pretty good uh, player to have as your shortstop a four to five win season. And so I, I and you look at the Cubs roster, like who else would you think that's like maybe you know what's expected of? And I don't think there's anybody on the roster that you could expect that from. Only really Danby Swanson. I mean, Hap did kind of put that up last year, and Horner did as well. But I wouldn't say going into next year, I expect them to be a four to five win player. No. Do you know who I want to be a four to five win player? Cody Bellinger. Wouldn't oh, that yeah. be that would change so much for the Cubs next year? Wouldn't that be nice for the Cubs to for a change get a guy off the scrap heap and he he finds himself again and experiences a resurgence? It seems like the Cubs have been on the the, the wrong end of those redemption stories the past couple of seasons. Guy comes out of nowhere and ends up torpedoing the Cubs. It would be nice to be on the the firing end of that torpedo for a change instead of the receiving end. I would love to see Cody Bellinger hit, hitting some bombs onto all over. Yeah. The Wrigley, you know, from Sheffield and Waveland, use the whole field. Well, you know, there's a, a Jeremy who maybe would have said Eric Hosmer is on his way to a big multi-award yeah. season, but uh, I'm not going to put words in your mouth here tonight. Uh, slightly different question about the Cubs. Like, there's high expectations for Dansby. In starting rotation, Marcus Stroman is likely the opening day starter. That comes with a set of expectations. You've got a World Series hero with Kyle Hendricks, who sort of has mixed expectations going into the year. Who would maybe be the under-the-radar type player that you think is going to have a big season 
and is critical to the Cubs' success this year. So, so like the step down from Dansby, who's that guy that may be a little bit under the radar right now that you think is just primed to have a massive season, an important season for the Cubs? For me, it's Nico Horner. For one, I think we're probably going to see him extended before the before opening day. I think we're going to see him locked into this team for a number of years to come. He's shifting back to second base where he, very he's going to go from very good defensively to great defensively. We've seen him play uh, an award-worthy second base. The offense took a big step forward last year. The power ticked up. The ability to hit for average ticked up. The patience didn't quite tick up. I always said it's funny. Nico Horner may be a very good player for many years to come, but he also may struggle to OPS 800 because he doesn't hit for a ton of power and he doesn't walk a ton. But both of those trended in the right direction next year. I think we're looking for him to take that next step offensively. And if he can do that, you've got an all-star second baseman on your hand. You've got a guy who can hit. You've got a guy who can field. As a second baseman, there's not a whole lot else. you got a guy who can run as a baseball player and as a second baseman there's not a whole lot else you need out of a guy for him to be the best you know four five six among the best four five six guys at his position in the league i'm a big nico fan too uh randall but for me i think a guy that like i feel like people aren't really talking about a lot but you know he's getting some attention is justin Steele. i feel like we're looking at the rotation we know stroman they did when they went out and they spent money they got tyone we we don't know what's up with hendrix they need another guy in that rotation to be a guy. And I think that Justin Steele, he had a really solid like middle of the season. He kind of struggled at the start. And at the end, he was, he was hurt and they kind of shut him down. But from May on, May to like August, he was kind of a dominant pitcher. And I think you saw with his breaking stuff that he was kind of elite there. He doesn't really have the fastball velocity. But I, I really believe that he's a guy that could kind of take that next step be a very a top end pitcher, not a top of the rotation guy, but maybe a competent number two or number three starter that the Cubs need to have in their rotation. And I, I'm expecting big things out of Steel. I think he's going to be very critical and very important for the rotation. And they they need guys in that rotation to kind of step up because they don't have any elite kind of top end, top of the rotation starters. And so I expect a lot from Justin Steele next year. And I, I think he's going to be a huge piece moving forward. Jeremy, I would have said Justin Steele had I not known you were going to say Justin Steele because I think he is just the textbook answer to this question. He is kind of under the radar, and we do just have sky-high expectations for him. We saw how good he can be at parts of last season, and he's got everything he needs to take that next step. So I think that's a really good call on your part. I think he's got the the, the pitch arsenal. I think he's got a, a coaching staff that believes in him. I think he's got a great pitching infrastructure behind him. And I think he's got a manager who probably sees in him uh, a lot of a famed former battery mate of his. So he's got everything he needs to really take that next step. And I think it would, I, I, what this team could do if he does take that next step, it would do quite a bit for the, the chances of this roster being competitive. Well, I like both of your picks there. And I just want to go a little bit different, although I'm, I'm ringing the same bells here on the show tonight. Cody Bellinger is a guy that, in my opinion, if the Cubs are going to have a magical season, uh, Cody's bells. right in the middle it. of it. Same, just same right bells. The, I get it. I see what you did there. What What am I doing? The same yeah, bells. I, I there you go. Yes. Uh, but this is a guy that is just a couple of years removed from MVP season. Yeah, I think he's going to benefit from the new uh, shift changes, meaning that he's going to have more field literally to work with on the right side of the field that's going to help things like his batting average. And this is a guy that will probably benefit from a change of scenery. So if this is going to be a magical year for the Cubs, and as I said last time, I'm predicting about a mid-70 Cubs team realistically, but if this is a year that things come together, 
Cody Bellinger is going to be a big reason why. And I think we can all, even if you're skeptical on Bellinger returning to an MVP form, and I understand why you would be, we can all see him hitting bombs out onto Sheffield and just putting on a show at Wrigley. So that's the guy that I'm saying I have high expectations for him. He was one of my top targets coming to the offseason. He's a guy I really want to see, and I expect he's going to have a big bounce back here and maybe be a comeback of the year type player candidate in baseball. And it's funny how we say expectations. We can have expectations for the player themselves, or we can have them relative. Our expectations for Bellinger are that he's going to be better than the guy he's replacing in center field, Rafael oh. Ortega, and the, the 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 parade of other center fielders who played out at Wrigley last year. Just at his baseline, Bellinger is better than any of those players. Better base runner, better defender, and he at least has more of an offensive pedigree to his name. So it's funny how expectations can be for the player or they can kind of be for the window around that player. But either way, Bellinger is also a great pick to the answer. And I want to be clear, my expectations for Bellinger are not just to be better than what center field was last year, right? right. Like like my expectation for first base this year wasn't, well, be better than Frank Schwindel and I'm going to be fine with it. Eric Hosmer better figure something out or I'm going to be very pissed off at him most of April and into May. Bellinger, uh, you know, man, maybe there's mid to high 20 home runs in that bat. Maybe he can get it all figured out again. And we're looking forward to what could be a very exciting thing there in center field for the Cubs. Uh, Let's go to the minor leagues, though. This is new to me. I didn't see this until the rundown was put together. We've got rule changes pertaining to balls and strikes. Randall, what's new in AAA next year? So according to Buster Olney, who I suppose occasionally has something worthwhile to say, AAA is going to an automated balls and strikes system beginning in 2023. That's this season. Uh, So the games are going to be split in half as far as how they are officiated. Half of all games will be played with all balls and strikes called electronically by this uh, ABS system, automated balls and strikes. And the other half will be played with a challenge system. Teams will get three challenges of a ball strike call per game, and they do retain if if that challenge is successful. Um, and uh, MLB will collectively see what works better. They will solicit feedback, and they will use that to inform decisions going forward. We've seen this in the low minors. We've seen it in the partner independent leagues. This is the closest this technology has gotten to the major leagues, and there's a very clear intent to eventually debut it there. I do think that is still a few years off because this technology can just completely shit the bed in AAA, and I don't think too many people will claim it's affecting the integrity of the game. You can't really do that in MLB. But I've said for years, the human eye is not going to get better. Technology will. Jeremy, I know you disagree. I know you're chomping at the bit to disagree. But something has to be done because we've seen where human umpires are just not getting it done as often as not. And I'm excited to see the technology moving up a level and getting closer to being refined enough to be an MLB. I don't necessarily disagree. I just think that like this is it needs to go through this process. Like they can't just implement it in major league baseball tomorrow. Uh, you know, when I hear like people shouting like robot ups now or whatever, I'm always like, well, you know, there's a lot of kinks here to work out and they need to, to figure it out and go through this and, and, and starting, you know, luckily enough, major league baseball has access to the minor leagues and all this whole that they can use kind of as guinea pigs because these games, no offense, they don't really matter other than kind of some developmental things, but wins and losses don't really matter in the minor leagues. Not at all. So it, it is important, I think, for them to test this out. And for me, I do think the future, if it ever does make it to the major leagues, I do think the future is kind of based more on a challenge system. I don't think we'll ever see, you know, uh, kind of just a calling every single pitch 
I don't think they'll ever take the game necessarily out of the umpire's hands at home plate, but a challenge system, which we have seen in the Arizona fall league. I, I think that does, that will work kind of, and it will be an interesting strategy because, you know, you would think every player on the mound or at bat is going to want to use that challenge if they're the one getting screwed. But if they're right now, I believe it's only three challenges. So if they're only have three challenges, a manager's going to have to use those kind of judiciously, like, you know, when's the time to use that challenge. So that that'll be interesting to see how that guy works out or how he gets worked out. But uh, yeah, I do think a challenge system will probably be the, the way of the future if it does make the majors. Yeah. And I know we're on this kind of different sides of this issue, but I do agree that it's not coming to MLB tomorrow. It's not coming to MLB next year, but it is coming. And I'd also agree that I don't think MLB is ever going to go full electronic for better or for worse. I do think it will be a hybrid system like this challenge system, um, at least to start. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned the pitchers are going to want to use those challenges. I'm um, imagine a, a pitcher uh, throwing a pitch that he feels is called incorrectly, and he immediately does the earmuffs and uh, and looks at the dugout, saying, "Hey, hey, Skip, challenge that." Well, but yeah, you know, they got Randall, the, the The spotlight shines on you, this show. And when I saw this headline come in here, it, it made me think, okay, this feels like a precursor. Uh, we've seen lots of rules tried in the minor leagues that then ultimately get implemented in the majors. We're going to see more of those this year with the pitch clock and things like that. Will you feel lost? at Wrigley Field if, if you're out the ballpark and you can't yell at the umpire because that's not the guy calling the balls and strikes. It's coming from a machine. You like to yell at the umpire at the ballpark. You let them know if they get a call wrong. What do you do if well, it's a computer calling it? Well, one of two things. One, I'll just kind of shout heavenward, Joe West, this is your fault somehow. <laughs> or two, I'll just tell, hey, robot, you blew that one. And then Bender will come out of the stands and tell me to bite his shiny metal ass. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm for making the game better officiated. I've been that I've been for that for many years. I'm glad we are, if slowly moving towards that. And I'm interesting to see what the feedback and what the implementation, what the execution is like in AAA. I'll be keeping an eye on yeah. that. You're gonna have to work on some new bits and get some new sayings in the repertoire because like you can't blame blue, although maybe it's IBM's blue, who knows? Deep blue. <laughs> uh you can't, you know, can't talk about the missed calls on the cell phone with the up. I'll like, come up, you're gonna I'll have come to come up with, up with a bunch of for the computer. I'll come up with a bunch of robot and computer specific bits. Like, hey, you got a chip missing, you got a hard drive malfunction out there. Don't worry, Jeremy. Have bit, we'll travel. I, I, there are big changes coming to baseball, and uh, as we get closer and closer to the start of the season, I'm really intrigued by the pitch clock and just games moving a little bit more, more action happening with more frequency. And I, I don't know fully how I feel about the shift, but I'm eager to see how it plays out. And it's going to take more than just spring training. Like, let's get into April and May and June, and let's really see you know, how this all comes to be. But that's the future Cubs. And we got a couple minutes to go here on the podcast tonight. And one thing that we want to do this year in 2023 is celebrate one of the great Cubs teams of all time, the 2003 Chicago Cubs, 20 years later. A little bit of backstory from 2002, awful Cubs team, 67 wins, 95 losses. You fire Don Baylor and you go into the offseason. And very quickly in November and December of 2002, the Cubs made some significant moves that would set the foundation for that 2003 team. November 15, Dusty Baker brought on as manager of the Cubs after a long stint in San Francisco, including a pennant-winning season in 2000. And a couple of weeks after that, Jim Hendry pulling the rabbit out trading Todd Hundley and Chad Hermanson to the Dodgers for Eric Karros and Mark Grudzelanek, something I think the three of us would agree, one of the great trades in Cubs history. I go on Fangraphs today, 
2003 Eric Karros, negative 0.5 war. Wow. The Cubs, would you believe it if I said that? It totally I, blew my mind. No, that that surprises me. I remember him being a, a solid guy off the bench for that team. Um, but uh, I guess uh, memory, memory, not always reality, especially when it comes to uh, F4. That surprised me as well. I, I would think that, you know, especially because I feel like later in the season, he kind of took over for Aesop Choi, uh, especially after that moment, you know, against the Yankees. Um, so I, that does surprise me. I'm, I'm curious how much of that was defense. because I do feel like I remember Karos being kind of an important factor with that team. Uh, but also, I remember looking back, thinking Randall Simon had like a great year for the Cubs when they acquired him, and then looking at his numbers, being like, "Yeah, and Randall Simon really wasn't that great on the Cubs." He hit more. He hit more with the uh, the Pirates than he did with the Cubs. I think we I think yeah. we all remember that that poor racing sausage. Well, Grudzelanik had a wonderful year for the Cubs, one of the top uh, war players for the team at about two and a half that year. But think about that trade, though. Todd Hundley was an albatross from day one. He Cubs fans hated him. I don't think his teammates particularly liked him. The contract wasn't good. For Jim Hendry to be able to dump that and Chad Hermanson for a guy that played a lot of first base for the Cubs and Eric Karros and Mark Grudzelanik played 121 games for the 2003 Cubs and was one of their top offensive players. That, that is just a remarkable deal that Jim Hendry pulled off that really set the tone for what would be a magical year. And it was a trade they kind of needed because a lot of going into that season, I remember, was you had Hesop Choi and Bobby Hill at second, and there, there was a lot of expectation on those two guys. So if you don't pull off that trade with Eric Carroll and Grudzelanik and those two guys falter, you don't have those kind of guys that are ready to took over, and then they were able to use Bobby Hill, I believe, to yeah. trade for Ramos Ramirez later in the season. So Getting Gretzelonic that year, that was a very big move. Yes. Yeah, and we've got lots of 03 Cubs that we're going to chat here over the course of the year, but I just wanted to start with that. When we get back next week, we'll talk about a little bit more of that 2002 team. There were multiple players in 2002 that were either everyday players or made debuts for the Cubs that would end up being critical members of the 03 team. Carlos Zambrano, Mark Pryor. Lots of names that we're going to get through, but I think about signing Dusty, that was a big one from an organizational standpoint, and then the Todd Hunley for Eric Karros and Mark Rudzelanik. What a wild trade in Cubs history. Uh, we are short on time here. Randall, this is our 95th podcast. What Cubs have worn 95? Number 95 has been worn by exactly one player in Cubs history, not even a player, a coach, venerable bullpen coach, Chad Noble, 2020, 2021, the only uniformed Cub to don 95 during the regular season. Good stuff, Randall, digging that one out. Well, on behalf of all of us, including anybody listening to this, the happiest of birthdays to you, Randall. I hope the 13th is an awesome day for you. Can't wait to see what's hot on Twitter. We'll be back in a week. Lots more Cubs chat this season and 03. Join us next time. Happy birthday, Randall. Thank you, Randall. Happy birthday. Thank you, Jeremy.